2: Hello, this is an audio recording, which is good for all of us, because it's time for an episode of Homo sapiens. Uh, What have I got to tell you? I'll tell you what I've got to bloody tell you. I saw an eel today. First, I thought it was a snake. Then I realised it had teeth. I suppose snakes have teeth, they have fangs, actually. So I thought, well, it can't be a snake. And then I looked down. And it was a bloody eel. I was by a river. I'll give you that. But it's just, listeners, this is what it's like to be in Australia. My mic's a bit low. I'm going to move it up. It's bloody boiling. Oh, my God. It, it's so hot. I'm not built for it. you what else isn't built for it? My wardrobe. I've got some very thin white T-shirts. And that's it. And everything else I brought is like winter. Because, you know, when you're in a cold country, you can't believe it will be warm. And then you get there and you're like, fuck, it's hot, Uh, which is why I always wear a tracksuit when I get on a plane and then I get off the other side and you're on that coach they put you on from the the plane and you're sweating like mad, but you don't want to go to the loo because you don't want to be late to get your luggage. Um, Anyone else an anxious traveler by any uh, stretch of the imagination? Uh, Listen here, listen good, is what I'll say. Who's on the podcast today? Tag Warner, the CEO of Gay Times. Really lovely chat. Love tag. Can't wait for you to have a listen to that. Have you caught up with last week? Last week's episode? For Culture Club, we chatted to Jessie Ware. We had a wonderful time and we talked about her brand new single and we talked about why she got fired from Tootsies and all sorts of delights. So if you haven't listened, have a listen. Um, then in the main episode, we chatted to lovely Scotty and... Um, instagram comments all kicked off and people had a squabble people had a squabble well someone was having a go at scotty in the comments and it all kicked off which was um very interesting uh to watch as i was you know because i'm in on australian time, so it was all going off in the middle of the night not that i was looking it's just i woke up and i was like whoa anyway i love scotty and thank you very much scotty for taking the time to chat to us you know and everyone leave it "Ah," in the comments um, Jake got in touch about last week's episode. Listening to the amazing Scotty is fat is a revolution. So that Scotty is fat is Scotty's Instagram handle, as they say. They are the embodiment of the journey I've been on for the last 10 years. Also completely identify with the not fitting in with straight men, not being queer enough, not being the right shape to fit in. Thank you for an amazing episode. You give me so much to process. Well, it's all Scotty. None of it's to do with me. Please, you liked it. I really loved that chat. And speaking of chats I love, here is a delightful chinwag with none other than Tag Warner. Grab a pen and paper because this wise old, wise old, this wise man uh, says some very wise things. Go and have a listen. Go and have a listen. Here is a listen. Here it is. Here it is. International man of queer mystery, Tag Warner. Uh, Is it okay if I introduce you like that? That's how I feel about you.
3: That's very kind (laughs) um sometimes um I don't know I, I don't know why I was thinking of this in lockdown I watched that Disney plus series WandaVision did you see it
2: I saw snippets
3: and there's a scene where she's sort of like levitating and there's all these different things about her life like Revolving around to that. It's kind of like an, a, a, an extra marvelized version of, um, spinning place. And I sometimes think of that image because I think of that. I'm like, I feel like I'm sort of like just in the space <laughs> and there's like all these queer things like spinning around me and sort of have to like grab <laughs> things and push them away at times. So that's sometimes how I feel about that. But when you said that, I was like, okay, that, that, that makes sense.
2: <laughs> yes. I see what you mean. Now, WandaVision. It was a Marvel thing, wasn't it? But was she like a fifties housewife?
3: Right. They did this thing where um and by the way, I'm not a massive Marvel fan by any means. It was just the fact that it was locked down trying to find things to sort of positively distract myself. You'd finish um, normal so... people.
2: What else were you supposed to do?
3: <laughs> so exactly. I was like, I need to watch something. And uh, a few of my colleagues who are big Marvel fans were like, you'd really enjoy Um mm. It's beautifully shot and the cinematography was great. And yeah, they went through the eras. I think she started in the fifties and each episode. She went forward about 10 years. That um, it. So it's the eras of television. Quite interesting.
2: Yeah, it looked really cool. I, so... My other job is, like, directing TV shows. And so what I always end mm. up doing is people go, have you seen One And I'm like, no, I haven't. And they're like, we're going to talk about it in half an hour. So I find One Division online <laughs> and I drag the cursor through the show, trying to absorb as much as possible in half an hour, seeing every spoiler. So, like, I've technically seen everything, but I think I've watched about four shows. Um, all I watch is location, 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 or... <laughs> Um, <laughs> Alan Carr and Amanda Holden doing Upper House in Italy. That's all my brain can take by the amount by the time I've spun through seven box sets of, of a day.
3: Yeah, that double that? speed feature is um, very helpful for that because I'm very similar. Like I was on a plane yesterday and I thought I've got to speed through a few things so that I can kind of like consume them as quickly as possible. And when they introduced that double speed feature on Netflix, I was like, yeah. this is it. Life changer. (laughs) So do
2: you watch things at double speed then? I always find that so like, that. that's one of the things about the chasm of like Gen Z and everybody else is like, why do they listen to things at double
3: speed? I do because I think my scarcest resource is time. So I feel like if I can try and optimize time as much as possible, um, then then it helps. So yeah, you've got the same content in half the time. (laughs) The creators (laughs) have said, said pieces of content will not like me for saying that i'm sure because i'm not enjoying it how it was supposed to be done but but at the same time yeah. it's sort of like a, a reality it's a reality of the job
2: yeah well it's a reality of how people consume it as well
3: mm-hmm. like i remember you too
2: uh the band um uh saying like 15 years ago like they would master all their albums on ipod headphones because that's how people heard them
3: wow um, okay i didn't know that
2: Yeah. So how does that relate to your job? Because like, how do you take into account the people that are consuming it? And I imagine there's a digital version and then there's, you know, non-digital
3: version of that. But um,
2: yeah, like, are you quite a realist in that sense?
3: Yeah. uh, It's funny you said that about you too. I didn't know that, but I did put in this um, sort of, I guess, strategy, if you like, uh, when I took over Gay Time's that I insisted that everybody looked at all of the content on their phone before it was published Um, because of that reason, because I was saying, you know, we've got great big screens in our office, but it's not realistic to think that the majority of the audience is consuming it in that way. So I think the other big one was um, people would spend a huge amount of time thinking about how things would look on a desktop screen and, the kind of simplest analytics you could pull would be how many people are looking at this on a mobile device versus a desktop. And of course, like many media companies, it's about 85 to 90% mobile. So Mm. um, introducing technology where people could at least use their desktop to view it as a mobile sort of like in situ and then making them look at things on their phone, because even just so much as like um, the, our designers are so amazing at this is, even the colors on your phone um, have different hues and sort of textures to them than a, a laptop screen might. Oh. Um, so, when you're looking at images, it's also important to look at them in, in the situ context of how lots of people are consuming the media. It's amazing how different things look on the screen.
2: Yes, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because also, like, my husband sent me a link to J. Crew last night. Mm. Uh, P.S. Mm. The worst fucking website in the world but like impossible <laughs> to, it's like i give up there's no point i'm not gonna buy anything um but <laughs> he sent it to me at like 8 p.m and that was when night shift was on my iphone i it goes orange so i was like yeah what is the color of all these trousers like what? Yeah. They're, yeah. this is are black <laughs> they look green to me and that's an example of like end user the the, the person at j, j crew designing that is not considering that stuff at all right yeah. Well, I yeah,
3: I think that was my that was my sort of like be in my bonnet when I started at gay Times. So I was really obsessed with by, by this. I called it the ivory tower of media. Mm. So if you have this view of, um, you know, often not always, but often quite privileged people sitting in offices on tall buildings in central London. And I always talked about the sort of metaphorical image of them creating content and throwing it out of the window. And of (laughs) course, once it's out the window, you don't look down. You just hope that someone picks it up when it lands on the floor on the street and the pavement below. Mm. So I was really obsessed with this idea. So I was like, we've got to deconstruct this like metaphorical idea of the ivory tower. So we have to come down to ground level and everything that we do has to be a two-way conversation between the community and ourselves. And we have to listen and have that conversation in real time not even in the sense of sort of feedback post the event it has to be in real time and it has to be at the same level as them we're part of the community we're not a leader or an ambassador of the community if people want to call us that and bestow that on us that's lovely and we we're humbly grateful for that but our job is to be part of the community and in a conversation with them so i tried to deconstruct that sort of idea of media because mm-hmm. my experience of going into this sort of like the big great publishing houses and media houses was that a lot of the time people quite enjoyed that sense of like we're above it all and we can see Mm. the general public below us and we can see everything and we've got the levers and we can pull them and and that I think that sort of power dynamic is quite dangerous in lots of ways.
2: Yeah so that sort of the archetypal Anna Wintour style magazine editor being right I know it all you lowly people know nothing here's a crumb blue dresses
3: Go get them. Yeah. And of course, whichever way the wind blows, they make a call and then everything changes. And I think Mm. that that feeds ego. It's quite exciting for people to see sways of people change because of what they're spouting out. And of course, the UK media in particular is criminal at this stuff, but you know, the UK media really is very effective at swaying public opinion when they want to. Mm. Um, And I think that I take the role as a media. You know, runner in my role really seriously. It comes with a huge amount of responsibility. Um, so yeah, it's a constant, it's a constant balancing act. Cause I also personally, I think about that. I'm like, okay, we're not going to become, um, Miranda Priestley in the Dell West Prada. But, you know, also at the same time, if you open yourself up completely, um, that's really exposing and, and can be kind of like an anxiety attack every single day. So where's the right balance of sort of like, personally opening up but then also not becoming this sort of like ice frost like person that is unreachable and untouchable
2: yeah and also like i wonder if you ever think about this because sam smith said this thing the other day that really struck me is like talking about the brits being um non-gendered anymore and sam was saying it was disappointing there's so much female talent out there that there haven't been any female nominations this year and then they said like People look to award shows for inspiration and, you know, for like people at home being like, I could be that and, uh, or not even like I could be that, like not everyone watching has to think they could be a singer, but they could be someone for being who they are is celebrated and acceptable and accepted. And, you know, so there is a there is a function of holding these things in high regard. Do you know what I mean? The othering, the the sort of untouchable nature of it is like it being this this zenith of like You know, isn't that why we love Rihanna? Because like Rihanna's like some goddess who we can't, we can only dare to (laughs) try and reach. But um, and in some respects, magazines have been a bit like that as well. You know, like in this tome, you will find the secrets to the kingdom of taste and style. And but you know, like, do you think about that and like and how you square that with being for the people, from the people? I don't know. It's an interesting topic.
3: Yeah no it's super fascinating yeah I I spend a lot of time thinking about it I think um, I guess one thing I remember doing when I I started in the role uh, at the beginning of January 1st of January technically 2019 so I just just finished four years and right before that as I was transitioning into becoming the CEO and taking over um, I spent a lot of time in our archives and the Gay Times archives are like, um, a treat. I mean, they're, they're really amazing to go because you, you get this amazing snapshot of time and you understand yeah. what the sort of sentiment was at the time and how people were and what they were talking about. Um, and there's loads I could talk about to that. But one thing that stuck out to me was more in the recent sort of history, the Gay Times went through a really fascinating period in the sort of late 2000s, early 2010s, where everything became a little bit about, um, infantilizing straight white men and um sort of trying to embody them both physically and sort of you know mentally and one of the features I think it was around 2007 uh, and the title I'll get this wrong but it's it, something along the lines of sort of like it was end of the year it was like December issue and it was like how to be the best gay man in 2008 and <laughs> I just thought what the fuck does that mean like how to be the best gay man and of course Sadly, it was a lot to do with like what your haircut looked like and how many times you went to the gym and what your diet was. And I oh. thought, God, this is like this is not particularly affirming to the different ways, the multitude of different ways that um, people experience the LGBTQ experience. Um, But I think the thing that I thought was quite interesting in that was the idea that clearly they were trying to sort of uh, personify that thing, right. Of kind of like the elusiveness we, we know how to be and we're going to teach you and and you're sort of going to hold us up in that esteem. Mm. I guess the difference is, is that when you look at something like fashion, of course it's, it's very multi-layered, but, there's also a lot about it, which is to do with something quite tangible and in and, and human, which is like clothing. And, and mm. of course that relates to people, but um, there's something there kind of in front of it, which is like a piece of clothing or something or a product, like a makeup product. But we're dealing with identity. I mean, this is like the most personal thing. The mm. most personal thing is mm-hmm. your personal identity. So for us to be in a position to, um, teach people how to be, I think is not the right way. So I think I I took that steer of you no, know, we have to be, um, with and in amongst the people and we have to, you know, raise people up and, um, platform them. And of course, they will provide inspiration like lots of our queer, you know, pop stars do and actors that we love and that they provide inspiration. We can platform them. Um, but as a brand, we, we must be part of the conversation rather than sort of holding ourselves up at the same sort of level of esteem.
2: Yes. Uh, It's so funny what you say about that feature where like how to be the best gay man in um, next year type thing is like, actually what it was saying, which we were all in, a lot of people in this space at that time, Mm -hmm. is actually what it's saying is like how to be a straight man as a game yes out. that's exactly <laughs> what it's saying oh <laughs> uh,
3: yeah well done I I always sort of I always nickname those ones um um I'm, but I've got lovely friends at GQ and I do respect them immensely but I, I sort of nicknamed it GQ for gays because I was like yeah. this is sort of like, like that's what it is it's GQ for gays it's like how to be a sort of like metrosexual groomed fit and sexy London man yeah. and be straight but also being gay but that's nothing really to do with it and I'm like oh god yeah <laughs> it's all very suppressed
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's well it's it's the inception the at the very heart of it if you were to open it up the the very root would be shame you know like how to get mm. your shame and turn it into fabulous Daniel Craig adjacent <laughs> looking stuff like and all power yeah of Craig by the way but, you know, it's, uh, there was a whole time like that, wasn't it? It was like, if you could only mm. look like David Gandhi, you wouldn't hate yourself for being gay.
3: Yeah. And uh, exactly. And I think um, I spend a lot of time trying to, uh, kind of have gone that pursuit of understanding human beings and how we work and the psychology and the sociology behind all of us. I find that is one of the most important things for me to understand in this job. I've got to understand people. And of course, that starts with me. And so I reflect on that a lot. I always think to myself, is there some deep-rooted reasons why I go to the gym so much? There's probably something in that which is born out of this Uh, trauma of being you know like bullied physically and mentally by straight men and trying to then emulate them to feel on some sort of like level playing field with them later in my life and Mm. I find that fascinating in my own behavior so the fact that I can sort of even self-reflect and look in the mirror and go what am I doing to sort of like hold up some of those um, sort of trauma-like values in myself is kind of interesting.
2: Yeah how do I yeah I've had the same conversation in my head and I'm sure other members of the LGBT spectrum listening will have their own version you know and, and but I I think what's interesting is like I kind of go in this weird loopy circle about it cause yeah, like, same. <laughs> so because I'm like I don't know if you can relate to this but like I'm like oh you're just trying to be like the boys who bullied you right and then I'm like but actually what you're doing if you if you buy into that version is you're saying because you are not the classic ideal male i.e you know kind of want to like if someone kicks a football at me in a park i want to kick it back as opposed to me who wants to like run away yeah so So, (laughs) terrified (laughs) (laughs)
3: um
2: (laughs) if i if i don't if i don't match a very narrow idea of masculinity i am telling myself that i am not allowed to pursue anything male like wanting to and classically male there's so many problems in this statement but like wanting to do exercisey gym things or you know like I'm I'm saying that I'm not worth doing any of those things where where and that's also bullshit so then I get stuck and Mm -hmm. I have a a snickers and think about
1: it yeah
3: exactly (laughs) I think I um I came to this conclusion that as individuals we are um full of hypocrisy and double standards and that's actually part of the human experience and I'm Mm -hmm. no different um we we have these conflicting sort of like values in us all the time that we're trying to sort of trade in and out. Um, And actually, I think ultimately, if you can sort of understand that and harness it, I think it's a good thing because it's real and it's human. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the LGBTQ plus community to this day, I was just spending this morning just kind of getting an update on some of the conversations that are going on in the community right now where there are significant conflicting views and people are sort of um uh themselves understanding that they're creating double standards about people's behavior and what they're doing and how do we feel about things Mm. um and that is just part of the human experience but um yeah I, i do relate to that
1: when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring
2: i've heard i don't want to speak on anyone's behalf so i'm simply reporting what i've heard said by some trans women saying that sometimes they get shit for being trans women who want to open up the debate around you know allowing if if someone says they're a woman they're a woman let's move let's move on but then when they transition actually buy into some really stereotypical female imagery of of how they portray themselves and people are like why are you doing that you know on instagram but i think that that the when i read that or hear that i'm like well surely the end zenith there is like femininity is for anyone like and Mm -hmm. as long as you're using it in a nutritious and non-problematic way then anyone can have it however they identify uh, it shouldn't be this thing that is regarded in some people as gross, i.e., campness in men, or, and in some people as being the ultimate, i.e., women who are there to service men, for example.
3: Absolutely. And I think it comes back to that notion of there are an infinite number of ways to be LGBTQ plus or queer. Yeah. And there's an infinite number of ways to be trans. And so, as you say, I've got plenty of trans friends who I think would be quite open about. Uh, aspiring to sometimes and living up to very feminine um, typically what would be seen as feminine ideals or beauty Mm. standards but then I also have the same on the other side that disregard anything that they see as gendered in any sort of societal way so they Mm. they push against all of that and they want to come across or present themselves in a way that rejects the idea of gender in all forms Mm. but then both of those individuals are Valid and true and um worthy and are amazing contributing members of our society, and so I think um sometimes when we're trying to understand things, we have to try and make sense of them by putting them into boxes and categorization. but actually, the mindset of understanding the sort of blurriness of this all and the grayness of of the life experience I think is actually. Personally, I think that's the the sort of the most positive way forward, but it's more challenging. So it takes people a mm-hmm. longer to sort of get their head around it, both personally and then of course when they they look at other people, um, because it challenges their ideas that they've had since birth that have been sort of um motherboarded into them. <laughs> yes, motherboarding Christ yeah i talk a lot about motherboards because i'm like it's true we've, we've all got a motherboard in us and it's yeah. like you can do cosmetic things and then you can go in and you can change out your hardware and then you can change <sighs> your screen or whatever but your motherboard is the most intricate and delicate part of the whole system and it's very difficult to change it and if you do you 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 kind of go on a risky journey because you can also fuck it up so <laughs> changing people's motherboard is a is the most challenging thing but um I do believe you can do it over a long time, decades. <laughs> so how,
2: is there an example of when you've changed your motherboard?
3: Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, one thing that I remember and I recall really clearly growing up was this idea that genders, especially when it came to genders within LGBTQ plus, so the difference between men and women and gay men, let's say, and lesbian women, were incredibly different. And I was sort of like given this notion by the only people that I knew in my life, the other gay men basically, and actually lesbian women as well, that we were so far on the other end of the spectrum that actually we had more in common than straight people than we did with each other. And I think that took me a I think that took me a long time to unlearn because it and I really mean this, it it never felt right personally. I've kind of always been someone that uh lives true to personal values. So it always felt wrong, but it was so driven into me as a notion that I kind of had this idea that I thought, well, okay, I'm resigned to it. You know, there's never a way to really see eye to eye. When actually I think I've seen great um participation and sort of like commonality found between very different corners of the LGBTQ spectrum and how powerful that is. And that's Mm. been really great to see that and and actually drive that back in sort of 10, five years ago. Of course, by the time I got to gay times, I think most of that feeling had gone completely, but that was, when I was a lot younger, that was such a notion. And I think that probably came from what you're referring to was the sort of rejection of um, womanhood and uh, femininity by a lot of these gay men as less than
2: Mm. because they were living
3: up to an ideal that they had to emulate, straight man in order to be seen as worthy.
2: Yes. If you weren't like David Beckham, you didn't exist. Those were the times we lived in. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What kind of home was it?
3: I grew up in Jersey. So Jersey is a small island near France. Great ice cream. Good ice cream. Yeah. If you, if you shop at a certain number of supermarkets, they sort of brand everything as Jersey cream, Jersey yes. milk. Jersey ice cream. It's good, good cows. <laughs> Jer- Jersey is a very small place. It's nine by five miles. And when I grew up, there was a population of 90,000. So you, it's a very small kind of town vibe. It's very sort of like Desperate Housewives. Everybody knows your business. And it's, um, yeah, neighborhood watch sort of on on crack. Really? And I think that growing up somewhere like that, I'm sure it's changed somewhat now, but it was very conservative when I grew up. So it's very difficult to talk about anything other than what we're talking about. Sort of default. I call them default identities. Sort of like in our country, these default identities: white male, cisgendered. Um, It's sort of who the who the structure and who the world is built for as a default. Mm -hmm. So if you're anything other than that especially the further you got away from that you were seen as something to be changed and fixed mm. um you were not seen as a, a valuable person in society so I I had a really challenging childhood um through uh school uh, thankfully my parents and my I have three brothers grew up in a very male household um uh, have all been tremendously supportive from you know minute one and actually I'm really fortunate to have a an amazing family structure um oh. so they were brilliant but anything outside of the home was very very difficult um mm-hmm. and I think that sort of like led me to do what lots of queer kids do which is spend as much time thinking about and dreaming about leaving <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of made that my mission to get out of there as quickly as possible but in also sort of seeing the silver lining in it um all of that challenge and uh, ostracization and feeling you know othered um it got so bad really i didn't go to school i kind of skipped school for the last year and a half because i just couldn't i couldn't go it was too it was too much being sort of like physically beaten up that much um all the time and the school wasn't interested in doing anything about it because they saw it as my problem not a problem um so, yeah, it was, I would say it was like institutionalised homophobia. And some also came from the teachers, which I always thought was just, you know, mad as well. I think that the really sad thing was that really tragically, a couple of years after I left, um, it got to the point where one student passed away um, through being basically attacked. And that, that I think, was really the moment oh, where a lot God. of people thought, God, this has got that bad. So that's kind of what I felt like I was in. God, actually still have and i've got a relationship now with the school again and i've actually started working a little bit with their new leadership team as a kind of you know on the periphery so i hope that changes If actually to be fair to them the more recent conversations with them behind the scenes have been more positive so yeah
2: Mm-mm. i'm really sorry that happened because it's awful and it shouldn't have you know and very terribly sad it ended up with someone dying because yeah. it speaks to how ignored these things were and are. Um, yeah. Did you have any lifelines in school? Was there anyone who was your pal?
3: Yeah, I've got one close friend who, who we're still best friends now, actually. We, we were close, but I think uh, we're actually very candid with each other and we've talked a bit about that experience of how it actually nearly ruined our friendship, because when you're experiencing something so challenging, it's it's a lot to deal with from a friendship perspective to see someone go through that and mm. feel like you can't do anything to change it. Mm. Um, so I think that caused a lot of friction in even our relationship, but it just goes to show how um, successful uh, prejudice and discrimination can be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always think that I'm like, discrimination and prejudice is actually really effective at, at you know, pushing people down and keeping them there. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, That's the end of part one. Part two is on the feed. Need I say more?
0: Hold up.